And that, of course, is what biohacking does. Put the body into the right conditions such that it reaches balance, such that it gets back into homeostasis again. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. I'm Renee and I'm here with my sister Lauren today all the way across the country. Hello, not in New York, in Maryland, in my childhood bedroom. Yes. Still representing the East Coast today. Mm -hmm. And we are going to be bringing on a guest for you today. We have Leslie Kenny from Primadine. And I don't know if anyone can guess from the name of that, what that is, but that is a spermidine supplement. And if you're not familiar with, yeah, say what, if you're not familiar with that, definitely stay tuned. We are going to dive into what spermidine is and why you really need to know all about it. It um, has some pretty powerful health benefits that sounds like pretty much everyone can be benefiting from. So Mm -hmm. uh, Leslie is definitely an expert in this area and I'll tell you a little bit more about her background in just a second here. Yeah. I'm really impressed with her knowledge on autophagy and how to support that with this, what sounds like a miraculous magical life molecule. It's really cool. I I was not aware that it had such systemic effects. And I thought it was interesting. She brought up this argument that a lot of people are a little bit in disbelief when something is promoted as a a cure-all or has systemic benefits. But I know for me, I'm trying to reduce my supplement intake. I want to do as many free hacks, really basic stuff as much as possible, get nutrition from food. And so when something has systemic benefits, I am all in, you know, I don't, I think there is a time and a place for isolating certain nutrients or supplements, but this is really, really cool. The list of benefits is just so long because we're affecting the body at a really fundamental cellular level. And that is something to really pay attention to. I would rather take something that has 20 benefits than one thing that has one specific benefit, right? You get more bang for your buck. Yeah. So I'm yeah. in it. And really cool just to learn the mechanisms of action behind this. Like what is causing us to age? This really is about longevity and anti-aging today. So I think most of our listeners will be pretty interested in it. Yeah. And we briefly talked about this nutrient in episode 100, all about anti-aging and longevity. So that was your sneak peek. Today's more of your deep dive. Mm -hmm. All right. Before we bring Leslie on, let me tell you a little bit more about her. So Oxford HealthSpan was founded by Leslie Kenny, a Southern Californian entrepreneur and graduate of both Berkeley and Harvard, whose life was turned upside down when she was diagnosed with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis in her thirties. When her doctors told her lupus had a life expectancy of five years and that RA could only be managed, not cured, she set out to optimize her health as best she could with safe, natural solutions. She went back to school uh, and studied at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York City became a bulletproof coach under health pioneer, Dave Asprey, and took on health coaching clients worldwide. At the same time, she began helping life science academics at European universities, including Oxford, where she currently lives, to raise money for their discoveries. At a meeting with one such scientist, she learned about a natural compound called spermidine, which is abundant in natto, a traditional Japanese dish that she had grown up with. Spermidine was showing great promise supporting health as we age. Today at age 56, Leslie is living proof that we can get better with age. So as long as we take responsibility for our health and meet our doctors halfway. Spermidine is part of her anti-aging arsenal and she hopes it will become part of yours too. It is part of my arsenal. For Me sure. too. <laughs> and if you're curious to try the product, we will link to their website in the show notes today. And you also get a 10% discount if you use code biohackerbabes at checkout. So definitely check that out. We'll put it all in the show notes and let us know if you have any questions. Awesome. Let's bring her on. 
Welcome, Leslie, to the Biohacker Babes podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. It's such a pleasure. It is always great to have a fellow female biohacker on the show, um, especially one that has had an incredible health journey. You are now 56 and thriving and health, probably you would say healthier than you were in your 30s. Um, Definitely healthier than I was in my 30s. It's astonishing, but yes. Yeah, that's a pretty wild thing to be able to say. But yeah, I know you were diagnosed with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis in your 30s, and you were really given no cure for that, right? You were told there's not really much we can do. I know you had a couple options that didn't sound so great. And that really led you down this journey to keep searching and researching and really becoming a biohacker, right? That's what we keep doing. We always want more answers. And that ultimately led you to find uh, more about spermidine, which we're going to get to in just a little bit. So hang tight. If you're like, what in the world is spermidine? Hang on. We're going to get to that. But Leslie, we want to hear more about your story because I think it's really inspiring for other people to hear that maybe have been given similar diagnoses and don't know what to do. Um, So give us a little bit more about that. Well, the, um, I guess the potted version is that like a lot of ambitious young women of my generation, I wanted to, you know, be an independent woman, go out, get my education, uh, got my degree at Berkeley, got my business degree at Harvard, wanted to be a professional and delay having babies until much later. By the age of 39, after I had really burned myself out in both the banking industry and having my online 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 matchmaking company, so a startup that was venture capital-based, I went to the doctor. I was trying to get pregnant. I'd done lots of rounds of um, intrauterine insemination, IVF. I was basically, I'd done five rounds of IVF. I was now doing donor eggs. And I noticed my fingers were hurting and I went to the doctor and I said, well, you know, I think I better check this out. I'm having trouble, you know, typing. I can't turn doorknobs. I'm I just, it's beginning to make my life difficult. And I didn't think anything of it. And then I got that call that no one expects to get the, your results are back and I'd like you to come into the office. And it's not the receptionist calling you, it's the doctor. So, you know, it's something something serious. And the doctor sits me down and says, well, your test results are back. And indeed you do have arthritis. It's a rheumatoid arthritis. And I, of course I didn't know what it meant. I thought, well, I'm only 39 arthritis at 39. That seems strange. What do we do about it? Um, Because doctors always have the answers, right? And uh, the doctor said, well, you can take these injectable drugs. So I think I started with Enbrel. I did Humira. I did a number of these immune suppressants. And then I said, and, and she then said, and you've also got lupus. And I said, oh, what's that? I, I don't know what that is. And she said, well, unfortunately, there's no cure for that. And I said, well, are you sure you've got the right diagnosis? And are you sure there's no cure? Right. <laughs> and, right. and, uh, and she said, well, there, I'm sorry, but there is no cure. And, um, I don't think it's, an, you know, I don't think that there's something wrong with the test. And I said, well, uh, you know, look, these, these injectables that I have to take, I'm doing this round of IVF and I've got donor eggs and this is a really big deal to me. And she said, well, you know, that given your cytokine numbers, your tumor necrosis factor alpha numbers, maybe trying to have a baby right now is not a good idea. And maybe, you know, you should think very carefully because given your numbers and your situation, five years is what I give you. And I was thinking, what? Well, wait a second. I'm, I'm 39 and I'm supposed to have a baby. Now I've done everything. I front loaded my education, my professional career. Now I'm ready. And I think so many women of my generation did that. Right. And then to have this doctor say, well, you have to forget that dream, which was already looking pretty elusive, having done lots of IVF, IUI, and now donor eggs. Right. And then to have them say that there's no cure just made me uh, go into denial. And 
the good news about a doctor saying there's no cure is that there's no downside to trying anything, right? If somebody had said to me at that point in time, well, you know, let's do uh, this particular rain dance. It works. I would have said, there's no downside. I'm going to try it, right? Because there is nothing else. So I literally, yeah, exactly. I threw the kitchen sink at this and I did yoga, meditation. I did the zone diet, the anti-inflammatory diet to really try and just get the cytokines and the TNF alpha as down as far as I could. Um, I did an experimental, uh, an experimental therapy called intravenous immunoglobulin, which has since been proven to work with autoimmune patients. I did two rounds of that. It was quite expensive, about $12,000 each. When I went back to the doctor, and I can't remember exactly, was it three months or six months, but several months later, I had said, look, is it okay if we do this test again? And she'd sort of said, yes, of course, you know, sympathetically said, sure, we can do that. The test came back negative and my C-reactive protein had dropped below one. It had been well past 10 before. And the doctor said, must have been a blip. That is the moment when I thought, but wait a second, I had, I was delivered these gigantic boxes full of syringes that were pre-filled with Humira and Enbrel, right? I mean, if I had not pushed back, I would still be on those and they're $5,000 a month. I have since calculated, I would have spent a million US dollars on those had I continued. Oh my gosh. Wow. And so I'm thinking, do you know, actually pushing back a little bit has served me. How could this be, right? So once you go through that kind of experience, you think, wait a second, maybe it's possible to do what we're told is impossible. Maybe the body is complex, but in that complexity, there is beauty and there is an innate ability to heal if we put it in the right conditions. And that, of course, is what biohacking does put the body into the right conditions such that it reaches balance, such that it gets back into homeostasis again. So having gone through the experience of putting my body back into balance, I couldn't go back. And, uh, you know, I went through the period of having my children And once they were old enough, living here in Oxford, England, which is a university town full of scientists, I, of course, took a great interest in the work of other parents on the playground who were scientists and some of whom were working on regenerative medicine projects. So I began fundraising for some of these folks. And working with these companies, I became part of this ecosystem in Oxford of spin-outs. And someone said, you know, Leslie, there's, there's a researcher here named Katja Simon, and she's working on a molecule called spermidine. You know, I'm thinking sperm, what? (laughs) I think that's where everyone's brain goes first. How can what? Did I hear that right? And, um, And this fellow who was with Oxford Science Innovation said, yeah, she's actually working on uh, using this to potentiate uh, immunity in the elderly. And the work is really interesting. She once had a patent, but the patent has, you know, basically didn't go anywhere. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't work. The reason the patent didn't go anywhere was because the university asked her personally to pay for the extra fees to take it forward. And as an academic, she didn't have the resources to do that. So for very unfortunate reasons, there was no patent there, but the science was still there. So I I went and met up with her and uh, being an autoimmune patient, I knew quite a bit about the immune system and I was fascinated by what she said was the ability of spermidine to quote unquote rejuvenate immune cells and in, in the elderly. And they're actually running a trial right now in humans, which is very exciting. So we'll have to wait for that to, uh, you know, to come out. But that was really the moment where I thought nobody else is going to bring this to market because there are no patents, but this actually works. Do I want to try and bring this to market just to be of service to people 
or do I just say, oh, there's no, there's no business, you know, there's no commercial reason to do this because so many molecules do just get left behind because there is no patent for them, but they are actually really, really good molecules. So I decided to take the plunge and we started the company during COVID. Koch's feeling was there's no better time than now to, to help with, you know, to help with this particular Especially issue. immune, immune function. Why not? Immune yeah. support. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Again, there are no downsides to it, right? So we didn't have to worry about problems with safety because it's, this is also food derived as well as a supplement. That's really exciting. I'm so curious. I know our audience is really excited to learn about spermidine and where that crazy name comes (laughs) from, but I'd love to take a step back because I think you mentioned such an important thing. There were all of these root causes that were affecting the outcome of your health. And I think men and women deal with this, but women, especially if we're trying to reproduce, there's all these underlying stressors that we didn't have on our body 20, 30, 50 years ago. And I think we really have to get back to the basics. Renee and I talk about that on the show a lot. Get back to the basics to reduce stress, you know, eliminate your stress bucket or at least balance it out. And then it's exciting. There's all these molecules out there and it seems like it's kind of endless. It just depends, you know, where attention goes and what gets studied. But I think understanding the mechanism of action, what's really happening and how it's affecting us under the surface is so important. So before we do deep dive on spermidine, can you talk about maybe the three major things that really turn things around for you. I know you mentioned the anti-inflammatory diet. Would you say that your diet before was particularly inflammatory? Were you already pretty healthy? I mean, moving the needle can be so different depending on where you're starting from. And so for the women out there that maybe are are different places in the spectrum, how do we start? Um, Definitely. I would say diet and stress and uh, let me think, maybe movement would be the three that I would focus on. So with regard to diet, I was, you know, kind of living the life. And when you, I was living in Hong Kong, I lived in Switzerland, I lived in the UK, I lived in the US and you are young and you want to enjoy life. And you're told, Oh, have this wine. It's wonderful for you. Have this fantastic dessert, have this rich meal, right? You live once. (laughs) Yes. You only live once and you want to try it all, but then you end up doing it over and over on repeat. And the problem is for someone like me, my body really couldn't handle the dairy, the alcohol or the gluten. Oh, and sugar, of course. So I really had to eliminate all of those things. And it wasn't actually hard to eliminate alcohol. I have never really I know this is going to sound strange to some people, but I've never really enjoyed it. Um, I've always felt slightly poisoned when I've had it, but the sugar, I definitely was a sugar addict, right? And carbs and a lot of wheat-based products. And I hadn't realized how much the gluten and the dairy contributed to the pain in my fingers. And even today, because I'm not on immune suppressants, but if Uh, you know, I happen to be at a party and I can't make a choice. And for social reasons, I'll say, well, this will be that one time in the year, maybe at Christmas that I indulge in this. I feel it in my fingers right away. That is my canary in the coal mine, right? So I would say, learn what your kryptonite is, what really doesn't make you feel good inside, really listen to all of those tiny signals that the body is always putting out and saying, I don't feel quite so good. And that could manifest in things like bloating. It could manifest in joint pain or brain fog or poor sleep, right? A lot of people will drink in particular alcohol late at night as a way to get to sleep. And then they wake up at three o'clock in the morning well, I'm afraid that that's kryptonite, <laughs> even if you think it helps yeah. you get to sleep. So <clears throat> diet is definitely very important. Um, the stress was unbelievable because when you're young, you're invincible, right? And you burn the candle at both ends and you think work hard, play hard. And the body is not, you know, an inexhaustible resource. We do have finite resources. We are capable of regenerating 
our energy and our cells, but we need that rest and digest period. And it's very important that we take this in cycles, right? So we are awake for a certain amount of time, but then we do, we do rest and that we're in sync with sunlight and nightfall, right? And I know you guys are, are on board with this because you've written it in your, uh, in your, uh, in your book on sleep, improving sleep. Um, so that, that getting stress under control, also your heart rate variability with things like meditation and yoga, anything that gets you into that kind of meditative state and movement, which I know is big for both of you. That's so important. That would be the third thing for me would be making sure that your circulation is good. One of the other things that we didn't know I had at that time was actually I'd had Hashimoto's and I had already destroyed about seven eighths of my thyroid. So under ultrasound now there's not much left and getting pregnant naturally, which happened later, I needed to get that thyroid piece going because it does govern um, circulation, the heart, and naturally blood flow to the uterus. So I needed to get that right. But movement does that too. And, and you know, good movement, not too much movement will help with thyroid function as well. So those would yeah. be the three. And I they, they did definitely make a difference for me. I will also say uh, intravenous immunoglobulin is certainly something people, autoimmune patients should look at. Mm, interesting. Mm. I'm so glad you brought up the movement piece. I, I'm on a mission to separate movement from the fitness world. I think most people just still think we have to move to build muscle and, and look good, but it's so important for cellular health. I also think it's interesting that you really had a pain point. A lot of people don't have pain points and they don't realize this is happening under the surface. So maybe we could talk about what's actually happening at the cellular level. And I would love to get into autophagy and how that fits in with spermidine. Like what do we really need to be doing to clean out our cells and make sure these stressors are not building up? Right. Um, well, those are two different pieces. So the stressors obviously have an impact on the body because they lead to this adrenaline and cortisol, chronic exposure to adrenaline and cortisol. And that then leads to something that you both know, inflammation, right? So you have mm -hmm. this chronic inflammation and that ages you faster. And that will manifest in things like sallow skin, gray hair, for instance, premature gray hair. And those are all classic signs of stress. We all know, oh, right, they're going gray, must be stressful at work, right? Um, or they've got a new baby, they're staying up too late at night, their gray hairs come in. So we do know those things. With regard to spermidine itself, it is a natural molecule that our body manufactures in the same way the body can manufacture hormones like progesterone, estradiol, testosterone, or uh, antioxidants like glutathione. Our bodies are capable of manufacturing spermidine when we're young to trigger the cellular renewal process. And uh, autophagy just means self-eating. And think of it as your self-cleaning oven. It does this on a regular basis. And again, like sleep, when you do your rest and digest, you need to have the cellular cleaning button turned on on a regular basis in order to keep the cells working properly. Why is that? Well, autophagy not only cleans out the non-functioning proteins in the cell, but also the mitochondria that have gotten worn out. And it's sort of like with your car. You wouldn't keep driving a car with the same tires year after year after year. We know the tread goes. We need to then take it in to be serviced and put on new tires. It's the same with your mitochondria. You need to renew those mitochondria, get rid of the old, bring in the new, and that is what autophagy does. So that is very basic at the cellular level. And of course, um, mitochondria are the workhorses of the cell. They give us that sense of energy because they, they produce uh, adenosine triphosphate, which is where we get energy from. Uh, you want that to be happening in your brain, in your heart, in your bones, in all the tissues in your body. For instance, in the hair shaft, you want to make sure that you know, you've, you've got stem cells that are functioning properly in the hair bulb so that 
um, the hair stays in the antigen or growth phase for longer so that melanin production or pigment actually can occur. But when these cells get older, they stop functioning and all of those processes in the body stop working as well as they once did. So that is, uh, you know, is a quick version of why autophagy is so important. I could go on to many of the other places that, that autophagy helps. It's the problem with this molecule is that it has what they call pleiotropic effects. That just means a multitude of effects is like a, it's holistic and people don't like holistic molecules because they're too good to be true, right? We're told, oh, this, this works for, you know, the cut on your, on your hand, or this works for the pain in your joint, but not that it helps systemically, but that's what spermidine does. Yeah. I get that. I think that's the same with like CBD and kava. People are like, it's too good to be true. So (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. So spermidine, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, so spermidine, I know you were mentioning like, I mean, metabolic health, brain health, uh, circadian rhythm. I definitely want to talk about that. I selfishly want to ask a question about the fertility link because yes. so this is, this is my story. So back in 2013, um, my husband and I couldn't conceive. And so we were going to fertility clinics and they said, you're going to have to do IVF. There's nothing wrong with you, but there's no answers. And I said, what about nutrition and acupuncture? Should I try that? And the doctor said, nope, that won't have any impact. So what spiraled out of that is I was in grad school. I said, perfect topic for my thesis, nutrition, nutrition for infertility. Thank you for the genius idea. So anyways, the reason I'm bringing this up is I remember coming across spermidine but there wasn't a lot of information. I, I should flip back through my thesis. There's probably like one paragraph. Like that was probably all that I had. And then I didn't hear about it again for at least four years later. So what is the link to fertility? Cause I'm sure there's a lot more research now. Right. There is, there is more research. So there was an exciting study out of China that came out in the last, I want to say six months. And it shows that spermidine helps with the uh, female germline stem cells. So this helps with oogenesis or the ability, our ability to create eggs. Now, as someone who was 39 and trying to have a baby, well, I can tell you that the doctors just kept saying, you know, we keep trying to give you, you know, all of these stimulating hormones, but you're not producing a lot of eggs. Well, you need spermidine to keep producing the eggs. And what's interesting is that, you know, there are only mouse studies and bear in mind, one study in animals does not definitively link to humans, but it's intriguing. They could see that if, if a mouse was say stressed, and was uh, creating a lot of reactive oxygen species around the eggs, well, then you're just not going to produce eggs, right? Mm. And I think of all of my girlfriends who had high-profile careers, who were working till midnight or 1 or 2 a.m., coming back at 6 a.m., and they want to have kids. Well, you know, what they're essentially doing by living that lifestyle is exposing their eggs to reactive oxygen species. So they did a study where they took uh, an analog for that, which is hydrogen peroxide, and with these eggs. And when they put the spermidine in, it effectively neutralizes the hydrogen peroxide. And that is, that's quite exciting because, you know, where I would like to see the research go is can we actually protect female fertility as we get older? We know that men can have kids until they're, what, 90, right? Right. Something we can do to protect our fertility as we get older. And I think one of the keys is going, one of the keys is definitely going to be protecting the female germline stem cells from uh, reactive oxygen species. And more studies are needed, but this looks interesting. And again, there are just no downsides. So, right? Right. I wouldn't make really a claim. Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't make a claim, but okay. Is it harmful? Not at all. Could it help? Maybe, right? Exactly. That's so, fascinating. so fascinating. 
So where did spermidine or where was it originally found and why is it called (laughs) what it's called? I know. So it was discovered in the 17th century by Antony van Leeuwenhoek, who invented the microscope. And as you do, if you are in your lab and you don't have so many things to put onto a little slide under the microscope, he was thinking, gee, what else can I put under there? You know, he's got leaves, blades of grass, hair. Oh, saliva. Hmm. What else could he put on that little slide? Well, oh, you know, how about you? We know where this is going. <laughs> boys, boys and their toys, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, oh, I know. I'll put this under the microscope. And what he observed was that when it dried, that when the ejaculate dried, he noticed that there were crystals and he didn't know what the crystals were, but um, he identified them. So spermine was identified first. A bit later, a different crystal was identified and that was called spermidine. So he was the one who sort of cast the die in using the name or, you know, the root sperm in it for which we now have to suffer the consequences and all the terrible jokes. But um, (laughs) that is actually where it came from. And we did not know until I think around the 1920s that it has a role to play in protecting DNA um, as it goes uh, in the sperm to the egg. The other thing is that it is what DNA is wrapped around in the sperm. So normally DNA wraps around a histone, which is very big, but spermidine is very tiny. So instead of the sperm having to take a giant suitcase full of DNA, it's able to be compressed into a little pocket clutch and goes into the sperm and then into the egg that way. So that is its role there. Um, in sperm. And it's so important to procreation that not only is it found there, but it's also found in human breast milk. Hmm. So breast milk obviously is, uh, is very key to the baby's survival. And we know there are a lot of uh, fructooligosaccharides in there that the baby cannot digest. They're only there to feed the colonies of bacteria that the baby has effectively been inoculated with as it goes through the birth canal. But it also has spermidine. And the speculation is that it's there to, uh, to tighten up the tight junctions of the gut. You know, the gut is only one cell thick. And to make that really tight so that the baby is prepared to uh, eventually eat, you know, non-breast milk, as it were. Hmm. Just to be clear, it was called spermidine just because of where it was found first. If it had been found first in in breast milk, maybe it would have had a different name, but it's the same molecule. That's right. Exactly. But there were no female scientists with microscopes. They were too busy, you know. Uh. Tending the hearth, cooking the food, and running after the children. <laughs> Men. <laughs> okay. Should we try Got and it. change the name? Is it too late? No. Is it too late? <laughs> Restadine. 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 <laughs> is there anywhere else in the body, or is it just those two? No, well, we can produce it in our tissues. So a third of our needs are met by spermidine produced in our tissues. A third is met by spermidine produced in our gut biome. And another third comes from food. Every plant and animal that you can see is capable of producing spermidine, but in differing amounts. And so it's, you know, we can all produce it. Hmm. Just in I feel like certain it's places a life molecule. In- yeah, it's, that's an interesting way to put it. It's really, it is very interesting. It is definitely having a moment. I know there's a lot of hype around it and I don't want to fan the flames on it too much, but it is, it is clearly important. And we know that in long lived um, populations that those individuals, when you measure their blood levels of spermidine, they are higher. Uh, than in those individuals uh, who are younger, but in poor health. So it seems uh, the epidemiological studies have linked it with with long life. And and also, if you look at the Blue Zone diets, which are high in plant material, they are also then naturally high in food intake of spermidine too. 
Hey, biohackers, Renee here. Just a brief interruption in today's episode to tell you about one of our favorite ways to analyze our genes. Self-Decode is a personalized health report service, which enables users to obtain detailed information and reports based on their genome. This allows us to review different genetic variants that may predispose us to certain health conditions. Self-Decode does a great job breaking down different concerns into what they call wellness reports, such as nutrition, autoimmune conditions, weight loss, mood support, sleep support, exercise, and more. It not only gives you a breakdown of your genetics, but it also gives you personalized nutrition and lifestyle recommendations for you to follow. So it makes this somewhat overwhelming topic very tangible. For example, I've learned that I need to keep my daily calories from saturated fat to less than 7%. So back when I was eating a ton of butter and coconut oil and bacon, which are all great healthy foods, I was actually working against my genes, but someone else might do great on a high saturated fat diet. So unless you test, you'll never know. So we highly recommend self-decode to really take a deep dive into what could set you up for a great personalized health plan. If you're curious to learn more, head over to selfdecode.com and remember to use code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 10%. We will share this link and discount code in the show notes for today's episode. All right, let's get back to the show. So which foods are highest? So the highest would be things like uh, natto, which is a fermented Japanese uh, soy delicacy. And uh, the next would be something like wheat germ, which is where we get it for our product. We get, we have defatted, highly concentrated wheat germ. So no polyunsaturated fatty acids that could go rancid. Then you would have it in things like peas, anything that has any grains that have an endosperm will have it. So it is very high again in the endosperm. There's the word again, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. More male scientists. And, um, and then, um, so then peas, beans and mushrooms. So shiitake mushrooms are high, but any mushrooms will have it as well. I'm trying to think of other, of other plants. I grapefruit has some apples will have some, I mean, this is, this is kind of the problem. It will also vary from, from batch to batch and vary from, you know, from how it's grown, where it's grown, that kind of thing. But the content's probably unreliable, right? Which is why we're trying to isolate it and and make sure it's in its purest form. I'm assuming it's sort of like rest resveratrol like you don't want to have to drink gallons of wine to get oh my gosh anti-aging molecule right how much wheat germ would you have to eat probably kilos well the the problem (laughs) definitely kilos of wheat but the the issue with wheat germ is that again the amount of spermidine varies from batch to batch but why do we have wheat germ totally separate from wheat it's because if you put it into a baked good, it makes it go rancid. Bakers don't want wheat germ in their baked goods because it makes them spoil faster. And then again, it comes back to those polyunsaturated fatty acids that are in wheat germ. They're very fragile. So those are omega-6s that will just, once exposed to air, they will just oxidize. And, you know, We've seen some supplement manufacturers of spermidine out there that have two thirds of their spermidine product are actually made from PUFAs. And mm, yeah, mm. exactly. And if you listen to Kate Shanahan, who's the nutritionist for the Lakers, she'll tell you that this is not really great for the uh, membrane of the cell, right? So taking that extra step and stripping out the fats is actually really important here. I know there'll be people that say, oh, it's vitamin E. Well, vitamin E can go rancid too, right? Oh yeah. 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 Which I think is why, you know, there was a headline for a while saying vitamin E can cause cancer. I'm assuming it was the link because of the rancidity of it, but. Oh, I'm not not sure about that. Yeah. But, but well, we appreciate that you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for taking the extra step for that. (laughs) I I definitely want to get more into like how to supplement and what we need to know about that. But before we do a really interesting topic, we were talking about before we hit record circadian rhythm. I know our listeners are big sleepers. They love circadian rhythm stuff. I think as much as we do, what do we need to know on this topic? 
Well, sleep is so important um, for that rest and digest period we we mentioned and rest, digest, regenerate, really. And I think for women in particular, we're at twice the risk of getting Alzheimer's than men. And some researchers have linked that back to poor sleep during perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause, right? Because we've just hot flashes wake us up, or maybe we're just, you know, working too hard, stress keeps us up, but poor sleep is an issue. As we age, it just gets worse. And one interesting study that was just published in July shows that spermidine can reset the circadian clock. Now, when we think of the circadian clock, we often, as biohackers, of course, we've got our blue light blocking glasses at night, right? Because we don't want that cortisol surge. We don't want to stay up late. We know that there are these photoreceptors in the eyes that have nothing to do with sight that help the body gauge whether it is night or day. If it's night, then we produce melatonin and we reduce cortisol. If it senses light, it brings up the cortisol and says, you know, get ready to stand up and do work. Well, the weird thing about this study is that spermidine can reset the clock, but it doesn't go through the same pathway as those photoreceptors. So that was really fascinating. And they don't know, the authors cannot explain what the mechanism of action is, but they know that when they exposed these cells, to spermidine within 60 minutes, they were able to reset the clock gene. And that, that is really, that's really interesting because I actually did do some fundraising work for an Oxford university spin out that was trying to impact the superchiasmatic nuclei deep in the brain that really creates our sleep wake cycle. And again, as we get older and that gets disturbed, poor sleep, can lead to other health issues as we get older. So I love the fact that the study came out. We have had customers tell us that this has really improved their sleep. It's the only thing that allows them to sleep through the night, um, that it helps with jet lag, that it helps them you know, regain their sense of balance if they've been uh, they've been working too hard and they're a little too g'd up and they just can't sleep. It just helps them wind down. So instead of having that glass of wine, they have this and it just sort of relaxes them and puts mm-hmm. that on that puts them on that nice glide path back into sleep at the right time. And do you think that's because of the autophagy, sort of like the taking out the trash, the cell renewal? There's like less debris essentially. Bizarrely, they say it's an autophagy dependent. They say it's autophagy independent, which mm. is fascinating to me. So it says spermidine treatment modulated the expression of clock genes within 60 minutes, which was sooner than changes in the expression of autophagy related genes. These findings suggest that spermidine is a potent modulator of the circadian phase, acting through glucocorticoid receptor independent pathways. So not through that uh, cortisol pathway and may be helpful for treating diseases related to circadian um, desynchrony. So that is Hmm. Yang, Oike, Furuse, and Yasuo. That is out of, it's a Japanese study that came out in biomedical research. It's a Japanese paper. So really Really We'd cool. love to link that in our resources, yeah. if you wouldn't mind sharing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I will I do you think the there's any chance it could be acting on the GI system? Because we know, uh, you know, light affects circadian and also food. It, could it potentially be going through like the micros in your GI? Do you, do you have any theories? Yeah. Um, well, I don't. I'm not a scientist. Um, I, I don't. I don't know. I'd be really hesitant because I, because I'm not a scientist and I do spend time around them and I just wouldn't want to, yeah. I wouldn't want to go into their pitch, but we we'll wait for more. It, yeah, we'll wait for more, but it definitely has an impact on the GI tract because we know again in infants that it helps tighten. It closes junctions. up those tight junctions. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Wow. All right. We have to keep us posted as more research comes out about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll add that to our jet lag kit as well. (laughs) Yes. 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 Perfect. So I guess that kind of circles back to fertility and women's health. If women are really suffering from circadian rhythm disruption, 
I mean, you mentioned perimenopause, but even at childbearing age, if we can reset this rhythm and, and, you know, set the stage for healthy reproduction, it sounds like this could potentially be for anyone. Do you think that's true? Like, should children be taking it? Is it more for adults? And it's more for adults. I, I, what I, what I always say, and initially I, I said, look, this is for people who are 50 and above, but then people were taking it and getting such great benefit from it that I then began to think, okay, we have to think about biological age, not chronological age, right? We all know people who are 30, but they have something has happened and they are, they are biologically much older and I would say for those individuals, then it may be of benefit. I wouldn't give it to children. Children, healthy children should be producing tons of this. Mm-hmm. And frankly, healthy 20-year-olds ought to be doing this too. But we have to bear in mind that we live in, we're subjecting ourselves to uh, you know, the experiment of modern lifestyle we haven't actually lived with electrification for more than, you know, what it's been a hundred, a hundred years. And this is a big experiment, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, working constantly, being on devices constantly, always being stimulated. Are we meant to be like that? Are we always meant to be indoors? Are we meant to be suppressing our vitamin D, you know, synthesis? They're just all these factors in modern life that mean that we are not the optimal humans we might be if we live more in sync with nature. And so if you are, like I say, uh, biologically older, then I would say you can try it. And I've certainly, I've certainly heard from customers who are in their late twenties who've said, this has been great. This has really helped with my, with stress. And I couldn't figure out why was it with stress, but it could be because when you supplement with spermidine, you can serve something called SAM-E. I don't know if you're familiar with SAM-E, mm-hmm. but it's a methyl donor. And it also leads to, you know, sort of Zen mood and uh, just feeling a bit more, a bit more content with things. So that could be one of the reasons why those folks are finding it good. Other people have just said, oh, my sleep has benefited so much. Now, as we women get older, again, because we are at twice the risk of Alzheimer's and cognition problems than men, um, I think it's very interesting that the human trials with spermidine have shown benefit to those who were living in Alzheimer's homes, you know, for people who were 60 to, I think, 94 years of age who had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and dementia. And then they gave them spermidine and this helped with cognition. So that, you know, it certainly helps at the, at the later stages, it helps in between with the sleep earlier on. If you're biologically older, it's not going to hurt. And there is promising research that seems to indicate it's supportive. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we, we do need to be biohacking more today than we did, you know, 200 years ago, right? Like maybe we didn't need to supplement spermidine 200 years ago, but you're right with everything that we're dealing with. If it's not going to hurt, it's only going to help. Why not try it at any age? Um, Exactly. So question for you about wheat. I'm sure anyone on a gluten-free diet right now is going, wait, I can't take this. It has wheat. Okay. You can, but lay down the rules on that. So there are, there are rules on that. So I obviously have been wheat-free since my diagnosis in 2004. And, but I only carry one of the celiac genes. So I'm just sensitive. If I were to talk to a scientist, they'd say, oh, it's no problem for you, but I've, I feel better off of it. Right. Okay. We know, we know what we know. know know. (laughs) But you're not celiac. Yeah, but I'm not celiac, but I only have one of the genes. For me, it's not a problem. Amy Lamott, who is a nutritionist in Hong Kong, who's one of our clinical advisors, like me, she's an autoimmune survivor. She also has one of the celiac genes. She also does not have trouble with this. Um, There's the gluten in our product is equivalent to what you would find in one one hundredth of a slice of bread. So it's 40 milligrams. It's small, but I would not recommend it for celiacs. 
So over the past year, we have had so many people say, I'm celiac, can you please do something about this? And we are about to introduce a gluten-free version. So that is going to be available for pre-order as of the beginning of October, delivery by the end of October. Mm, Exciting. That's good good timing. This is good timing. I think you're the first podcast where I've announced that. Yay. We'll come out for a couple of weeks. So it'll be perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So will it be marketed for celiacs in particular? Because I know that whole, you know, gluten-free label is really (laughs) um, confusing to a lot of people. Yeah. um, You know, we're not marketing it specifically to celiacs. We're you know, we're, we're simply making it available because we know so many people have made the choice. Many people feel, many people know they are sensitive and choose to eliminate it. And as a result, you know, this is, this is really the answer, you know, to all of those inquiries about what about a gluten-free version? So here it is. Mm. Great. Really awesome. And how often should we be taking this product? How many capsules? Well, So our product has a prebiotic in it as well to help you harness your gut biome's innate ability to manufacture spermidine. And the problem with having added the prebiotic in is that it means that we have more sort of raw material that goes into the capsules. So unfortunately, it's three capsules. So a full dose for a day to get one milligram of spermidine, which is the minimum effective dose. And that's what was used in the clinical trials for cognition improvement. That's three capsules. And everybody takes it a different way. Some people take one capsule with every meal. Some people take all of them first thing in the morning. Some people take them all right before bed. And you kind of need to find your sweet spot. I always say, start with one capsule on day one, two capsules day two, three capsules day three, titrate up slowly. Uh, People have asked, can we take more? You can. The US FDA does not have a recommended daily allowance for this. Uh, In terms of safety, again, it's food derived. And in Europe, the recommendation from the European Food Safety Authority is no more than six milligrams of spermidine per day. I can't imagine anybody for us, that would be something like 18 capsules. I don't think anybody's going to do that. Yeah. Half a bottle um, gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, to give you an idea, the orders of magnitude you'd need to take in order to, you know, go past that threshold, that safety threshold. That's, that's what it is. But as far as you know, there's not a toxic limit. So titrating not and seeing that- how you feel. Yeah, not that not that we know, of, but I would follow the European Food Safety Authority um, guidelines, which say no more than six milligrams a day. And right. obviously, if you're celiac, don't take the one that has even a small amount of gluten. Mm-hmm. Take the gluten-free product. Mm-hmm. So, what are the indications that it would be working? So, if we are titrating and trying to figure out what works best for us, how? Would someone know if it's best with a meal or I know Renee and I have been taking it before bed to hopefully maybe support autophagy through the night? Like what are the signs that it's right for you? Well, so individuals who've got a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO won't like it because of the fructooligosaccharides in it. And that means that they probably have difficulty with plant material generally. And I know that a few people, friends of mine who are on carnivore have tried it and said, oh, I can't, I can't do it. But they're on carnivore for very specific reasons. And so I wouldn't have them on it. People will know if it's working for them though, after, after about let's say two weeks, you might notice that your eyelashes get slightly longer. You might notice that your nails are stronger. You will probably notice after a month, two months, you might notice that you have more baby hairs growing in. Everybody is, of course, bio-individual. You guys know this as coaches. And we've had, we had these wonderful Norwegian biohackers, um, these lovely women who 
were both postmenopausal and they did they put up this great video and they were like, look at my baby hairs, you know? And oh, cool. it was after three weeks and they were growing in their original blonde hair color. So wow. we've had, um, we've got pictures of 90 year olds who've had white hair for the last 25, 30 years who are getting black hairs growing in again. Um, a 79 year old whose hair, you know how over the last year, we've seen all these women with raccoon stripes, right? As their white stripe grows in and their hair dye is on the bottom. Well, this woman had the exact opposite and her hair was growing dark at the roots, but was white at the ends. Yeah. It's, wow. it's really, really interesting. Now that doesn't happen for every single person. It really depends you know, on you also in your gut biome, but you probably will see something with that sleep. We've had people say, Oh, I saw it on my aura ring after one night. So look Mm -hmm. there. Other people say they notice it with their HRV deep sleep. Definitely. Have you guys do, you must wear aura rings too. I'm Mm -hmm. guessing we're all all tribe members. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I would, I would just check your deep sleep scores and see, see how they're doing. And you can also play around with when you take it and then see how that impacts your deep sleep scores. Some people have said, Oh, I take it in the morning and that improves my deep sleep score more than if I take it at night. So just keep playing. That's really helpful. It is. It is a little bit of a, you know, trying to, to jig it around just for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's can I ask one more question? individuality. Sorry. Can I ask one more question, Renee? Yeah. I know we're almost out of time. <laughs> Beyond, you know, the perceptual level, uh, for someone like Renee and I, it's hard to move the needle. Is there something on a lab test, like any biomarkers that maybe we would see three, four months from now? Is it inflammatory markers? Any, yeah. any it should else? help with it should help with. Well, now I have to be a little bit careful here for regulatory reasons. I probably have to talk to you totally offline on this. We can do this off air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking, oh, probably for regulatory reasons. I can't, I can't talk about that. But totally yeah, you fine. Guys, we you can guys, do a part you guys two. are very yeah, you guys are very optimized. What I what I might try doing is upping the dose to see if you notice then something because folks that are in reasonably good health, we find if you up the dose, then you notice a change in those say deep sleep scores or in, in hair, you guys, neither of you has gray hair. Got a couple. Be, it's starting. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, we were talking to Dr. Stephanie Estima and she was saying, Oh, it's just fantastic. You know, I've got these hairs that are gray at the bottom, but are growing in now dark at the roots. And so that would be because cellular turnover is so hard, is so high in our hair, skin and nails. That's the place you would see it. We know that our specific spermidine has been shown to increase keratin. So for nails and hair, we know that it also helps stimulate collagen production. So you might notice fewer, you know, fewer wrinkles. I'm 56. I don't, you know, I haven't, I have done Botox like six years ago. I don't have any fillers. I don't have any, you know, you look amazing or anything. Well, you know, if some of that may be genes, I don't dye my hair, but you know, I think this is helping. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So cool. All right. I'll try and up my dose and see, (laughs) keep experimenting. Experiment, right? We're biohackers. That's what we we do. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Well, Leslie, before we let you run, if we can ask one final question that we always like to ask our guests for one final piece of advice that our guests, our our listeners can start doing right away. Always sleep, always sleep, optimize your sleep and uh, go to bed an hour before you think you need to and see if you wake up feeling refreshed the way that you did when you were a kid. I'm with you on that. I love it. Oh yeah. Love the sleep advice. (laughs) That first hour of sleep. So good. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much for spending the last hour with us and sharing all this great education with everyone. Um, Anyone that's curious to learn more, we will put in the show notes, uh, Instagram links, your website, oxfordhealthspan.com. And then if you can send us that study, we would happily link that if anyone wants to look into that. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Thank yeah. You so we'll keep everyone on this, on this train, looking out for more spermidine research. It's really exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. We've really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us and thanks for everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.